0: Welcome to the Healthy Beast. I'm joined today by Tamara Silias. Tamara is a clinical psychologist and who specialises in CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. So perhaps we could start. Welcome, first of all. Thanks, Rich. Perhaps we could start by explaining for anyone who doesn't know exactly what CBT is.
1: Sure. So CBT is a it's a very specific model of psychological therapy and it it really focuses on the here and now. I think it gets slightly bad press because I think people think that if they are having a course of CBT that therapists wouldn't be interested in their background or wouldn't ask them about their early experiences and that's not true. But what CBT is about is it's about kind of thinking with people about the difficulties that they're having here and now and what we really want to do is be able to give people skills and techniques to be able to really help themselves. So I think that's maybe what the difference is is that it it isn't perhaps like a more traditional form of therapy, uh, you know perhaps something like psychoanalytic psychotherapy where people would, Uh, speak extensively, where they would explore their past, we do some of that but we're also really focused on helping people to uh, have strategies, have have skills, have techniques that they can use that in their day-to-day lives when they are struggling with uh, the difficulties that they're having. Uh, And I would also say that CBT is used uh, predominantly, it's used very effectively when we treat anxiety disorders and this is kind of detailed but they are they're generally there's seven anxiety disorders and it works very well for mood so for depression so when people are struggling when they're low and we do use cbt for other areas so we've got some really good research that tells us that we can use cbt with other areas like eating disorders with anger with some, some of the more tricky things like psychosis or like bipolar, but primarily, certainly in this country, we collect l- lots of data, we've got lots of good evidence about using CBT for anxiety and depression.
0: Okay, to take one of them, anger, I think, is probably one that has, for a lot of people, particularly during lockdown and yeah. it's been a thing that a lot of people feel building up I know I've experienced it myself and a lot of people I've talked to mm-hmm. because you know your life's disrupted you're you're not able to do the things you normally do and this you know this great uncertainty of where we're going to be in 6 months a year so mm-hmm. anyone that may have had slight issues with it I think it's going to be pushing it bubbling to the surface so we take anger as an example. What, how might you, how might you go about addressing that? Someone comes to see you, or, or does it online at the, as they might do at the moment. What, what would be the methods for dealing with anger? Yeah,
1: it's a good question, Rich. So I suppose the first thing that we try and teach people with CBT is that there's a huge, really important link between thoughts, feelings, and behaviour. So the the experience of anger is a feeling. And of course, we can't get to feelings, We, we can't just tell people not to feel something, but what we can do is we can go the other two routes. So we can either work with the way in which people are thinking about something. So we can work, we can use strategies for thoughts and we can use strategies for behaviors. So for example, with anger, Rich, can you give me an example? Can you tell me about a time recently where you felt really angry or frustrated?
0: I mean, the first one that comes to mind is annoying each other yeah. in the house because you know yeah. we've all been locked up, and however much you love your family, yeah, there are there are times when you just feel an anger bubbling up, and and it may be yeah, it may be something that's to do with something else. Again, you know, the what causes things, I'm never quite sure, but you feel it bubbling up, and it focuses on. Another member of your family, and I've noticed me doing it to members of my family. Also, other members of the family doing it to me and to mm. each other. Mm. It's almost like you know that, that person. If it's the children, it's it's over a toy or mm. or who who's sitting where. If it's mm. the grown ups, it's over something you disagree about. Something yeah. that you don't you don't agree with how you're bringing the children up or how yeah. you're yeah. minor little things, little yeah. things that you that that might be nothing. And probably if you could zoom out and mm. think about it, these these would be. Trivial circumstances, but you just find yourself getting annoyed yeah. with each other.
1: Yeah. So what we would do is, if if I was working with anyone, I'm just using you as an example, what I would want to do is I'd want to first get you monitoring those situations when you feel that you're becoming angry. Yeah. So I'd literally want you to be able to jot those things down. So what time of day was it? What was the day and date? what happened? So what was the situation? What did you think in relation to that? How did you feel? And then how did you behave? So we need to get those links because that's how we then start breaking it down. So to use an example, I'll use myself. So let's say uh, I get really angry because uh, my child doesn't want to do their maths homeschooling. So if that makes me feel really cross, my thought would be why is it only my child who's not doing the maths uh, i'm going to get called up by the school we're doing a really bad job so that might be the the thinking that goes on i would be feeling very angry and probably lots of other things and then i'd be interested in the behaviour so what did i do at that point so did i shout did i walk away uh, did I cry? What did I go and do? And um, if I was kind of doing that work, I would be trying to think about how I could help somebody to get a bit more perspective. So when they have those thoughts, I in CBT what we try and do is we help somebody to get some perspective to be able to stand back from their thoughts and evaluate that a little bit more effectively because ultimately we want to help somebody to have some more balanced thinking because you know what it's probably not just my child who isn't doing the maths or the English and you know what school is probably not going to be ringing me but we've got to bring that perspective on board so that's how we can try and work with thoughts and then on the behaviour side, I guess with anger, the big thing we work with with, uh, with the, the angry behaviour is ultimately we don't want to become aggressive. We don't want to lash out. Yeah? So if somebody has got to that point where they're doing that sort of thing, we'd like to help them to have some more, I guess, a, adaptive ways of managing when they get very angry. So those would be the... It's, CBT is a sort of two-pronged approach. So we want to work with thoughts and we want to work with behaviours. So, yeah. so thoughts and actions. Thoughts and actions, yeah. So, so
0: if someone has been, say, they're getting angry every day, you, you would encourage them to actually go and physically kind of take a journal and write down... Exactly, yeah. Every, ...everything that made them angry and, what, and then, crucially, what they what they did with those angry feelings. Yeah,
1: because already, so what we like to do in CBT is the first thing we want to do is just make people more aware of it. So that's why we ask them to monitor. And we hope that that doesn't feel like schoolwork for people because that would be dreadful. That's not what we want to do. And again, I think sometimes people associate CBT with it being a little bit homeworky. But it's really because we just want people in the first instance to start kind of recognising and realising that there might be themes. So it might be that it's a certain time of day, it might be that it's with a certain person, it might be that uh, it's when we're feeling a particular way. So we try and get that pattern going first, and then we try and work with the, the thoughts and the behaviours. Um, because if we can shift thinking and behaving, we're going to be able to shift the emotional experience.
0: Okay, so most people, what I think, would... Who've never done this kind of therapy, they might think anger is a negative emotion, and you'd you'd be better off not having it. But mm. you would say with this therapy, you're not so much judging that anger is a bad thing. You're just trying to give, give people a almost a detached perspective on it, so they would just as almost as though it's happening to someone else. They said, you know, this feeling happened. Yeah. What did I do about it, and and then what? How did I feel afterwards? How did it dissipate? Yeah. This kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I think you're right. It's not about judging. I mean, I suppose for any psychological therapy, we're in the business, we're in the territory of working with people when they're feeling, you know, the emotions that are not that pleasant. So we're often in the territory of people feeling terribly anxious or very low or lots of self-loathing or anger or guilt or fear or uncertainty, as you were saying earlier. So we're very we're very comfortable we want to be helping people because generally people don't come and see us when they're feeling content and happy and you know that life feels pretty kind of smooth and good. So we're fully expecting that we're gonna work with those periods of time where people are, are struggling more. I, I suppose the other thing I just wanted to say and people may relate to this is when we think about people's thoughts the other thing that we're always having a, a kind of listen into and thinking about is something that we call thinking habits. Another not-so-nice way of putting it is thinking errors. But what I mean by that is that we also, for lots of us, we use things. I'm going to name some of them, and then maybe you can tell me what you think. But some of those things that we're referring to, and I'm certainly seeing it in practice at the moment, is things like catastrophizing like jumping to conclusions like magnifying like mind reading so these are the My things reading,
0: we... you mean assuming you know what other people think exactly rather than any sort of magic talent that they have that's it.
1: and also so no evidence let's say that somebody's really cross and annoyed with you but we imagine especially let's say now where people are not working in offices so face to face I've certainly had people say, "Well, I'm sure my I'm sure my manager is really annoyed with me. I'm sure they think I'm not working hard enough." So that's an example of mind reading. Yeah.
0: My my um, my wife. I hope she won't mind me saying this, but yeah. reads my mind sometimes. So so if I'm in a if I'm in a bad mood, it does it does happen. You know, you're feeling yeah. a grumpy mood. Her, her first thought will be. Why is he cross with me? Ah. So this, does, is a, this, is a, this has been a common theme ah, with us.
1: Now, you see, that's interesting because you're saying that your lovely wife is... She's, she's mind-reading, but the other thing that she might be doing is then personalising. So why is Rich cross with me? So that's another example. And
0: of, I'd have to say, maybe, you know, from past experience, maybe she's mind-reading correctly, but um, you just... <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, there are times when you know yeah. your you, your your mood is lower than it than you would like it to be. Of course, and the person closest to you thinks thinks it's something they've done. I guess this is quite common, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it is. But of course, it's very good sometimes to recognise that for lots of us, we personalise. So we we do imagine that somebody is annoyed or irritated with us when in fact it can be something completely different so let's say rich for you i know you're a man who you know you're very very good at taking regular exercise now lockdown i think would have impacted so maybe you're feeling a bit frustrated and a bit down it might not be necessarily that it was your wife it might be because actually you're just so frustrated not being able to exercise but your your wife might have thought or it's you know, he's cross with me, I've done something wrong. Hmm. But that's just another example of thinking errors.
0: Okay, so thinking errors. And the other ones you said catastrophizing is catastrophizing. another one. I've heard I've heard a lot of people doing yes. this at the moment because they're saying, look at the world Nothing's ever going to be the same again. That's All it. these businesses are going to go go under. The the economy's ruined. Our children's education. My son's not my bit would have had six months off school by September. So you can see that if ever there was a time for, I guess you can't call it justified catastrophising because if it's a thinking area, you don't want to do it. But yeah. if ever if ever there was a time for people to have this kind of thinking,
1: absolutely. I mean, if you you know if you've got your ear to the ground. This is what what we're hearing all the time, aren't we? And, and some of it is understandable. You know, there are some really difficult, horrible things going on. But the catastrophizing bit of it is imagining that absolutely everything is going to have a really negative, horrible conclusion. And that's what we've got to be a bit careful of. And, of course, when we are... So, the, I, I would say, broadly speaking if we are if if we struggle with anxiety the difficulty with anxiety is that a it's very future focused and b if we struggle with anxiety we're very threat focused as well so our threat systems are very very activated and of course the current environment doesn't really help
0: no and it, it must you must come up against this brick wall in in your work I mean you say that people coming to to see a therapist they've already made a step and they want to do something about it but there must be this point at which yes you can look at your behaviors and so forth but when they then say yes but what about my real world concerns you know you can't do anything about these things so people have these real world concerns and is there Mm. is it hard to kind of take those two two things together you know you're looking at what's happening in your mind but also the the world that you can't control
1: Mm. I mean I think it is it's very very tough and I suppose I would always say that what it doesn't really matter what people come and see us for come and see me for we've always got to take the kind of wider the wider world the wider system we take that into account don't we and so I would say certainly what I found in my practice is that people are are probably more anxious than ever, and it's because there are really real horrible things that are going on, but I would still say, and the, and the, the kind of data, the research tells us this as well, is that there is still people overestimate threat in situations like this. So people would imagine, uh, you know, I suppose they, they may slightly overgeneralize. you know, which is that everybody is going to be very affected by the virus or every child is not, you know, people speak of the lost generation, don't they? I've been hearing about this and I just think, wow, you know, that's, I understand what people are worried about, but we've got to be careful of add, of adding that kind of extra layer onto things. And I think that's maybe... What what people might be doing a little bit of.
0: I think yeah, I've heard that as well. My my dad's point on this, he was born during the war. I did a podcast with him a few weeks ago. And he having been born during the war, he said when he was a little boy, he, he had so many grown-ups saying to him, Oh, poor you, born at such a terrible time. Mm. And then he's saying, But now in his late seventies, his generation has been incredibly lucky. They, they grew up in good times. They had free education. They had free university education with big grants. I mean, they had, in many ways, a much easier... To, and, you know, house prices were much lower. All these kind of mm. things, in many ways, a, a much easier time. Mm. And the truth is, we just don't know how things are going to turn out. And there are things, the, the bits of it that are beyond our control. Mm. I guess you want, you want to detach your thinking from that. Because how can, how can us as individuals control the world economy we can't you know we can just do our little bit yeah
1: i mean i think you're right i mean i I think um there's a saying which i know it's used a lot in sports psychology but you know control the controllables and Mm. actually i know that that can sound so sort of simplistic but actually i think that's probably what all of us can kind of try and use a little bit of, which is that, you know, we can't control the spread of this virus. We can't control Brexit. There, there are lots of things that we can't do anything about, but there are certainly things that we can do something about. Whatever that is, making sure that our children are safe and well as they can be, still kind of, for those of us that are lucky and, and you know, we're, we're still working, we can still do a good job of that. I mean, I suppose, for instance, with the virus, you know, what's not controllable is we can't do anything about the, the overall spread of that. But what we can do is, for instance, make sure that we're being sensible with what we're doing about that. Yeah. So whatever that is, which is kind of regular hand washing, looks like maybe or maybe not. I'm still not sure. Have you followed that, Rich? Are we wearing masks or not? But, you know, there are still things that we can do that would probably make us feel a whole lot better. If we focused on them,
0: yeah, and probably pay less attention to the news, I think. And as, as someone who spent years in the newsroom, really enjoying the day-to-day of breaking news and death and destruction, because it's quite it's quite fun as a as a job. As a consumer, to have a particular time like this, to hear every day mm-hmm. how many people have died and how many people it, this can't this can't be good for our own. Peace and happiness on any level, you know, whether whether people have suffered mental health difficulties or not. I mean, daily updates on how many people have died seems like a crazy way to to live your life.
1: I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, there was a fantastic study that was done recently where they looked at how how we now receive information versus how we received information, let's say, twenty years ago. So if you think about it, people, back then, there were very limited sources of news. So what you had to do was literally, you know, there would be possibly a newspaper that came out, or which you would know this more, maybe once a day or once a week. Uh, If you were lucky enough, you may have had access to your television, where there would have been, let's say, one news broadcast on a daily basis, and that's all that you had. So the, the information sources were very limited. It was it was sort of also not everybody had access to that. Whereas if you look at news now and if you look at the way that we receive information, all of us have got all the news apps. We're all using social media. We get it. As many times a day as we like, because we can just look at our phones. And actually what the studies are showing is that you would have thought that with so much information, people would feel more certain about the world around them. And actually what we're finding is that people feel far less certain because the information is uh, it's very different. We find that you know n- not everything is the same. So we're getting all of the we're getting all of this kind of information coming in. And also, it is—it's—it uh, really often is inconclusive because it's not—it's not the same, uh, and so people are struggling more with that because it doesn't give them clarity. It's actually making things more difficult for them.
0: The point I heard a few years ago, which has really stuck stuck with me, was by um, the guy who wrote *The Black Swan*, Nicholas mm-hmm. Taleb, and he's a very successful public intellectual, and he says never. Never read the news. He says if something is, import, is important enough, you'll find out at the water cooler or whatever the yeah. equivalent is. You know, someone, you're not going to you're not yeah. going to miss the fact that there's been some, you know, wars broken out or some huge terrorist atrocity. You're gonna you're gonna find out. So all all you're really doing then, if you're plugging in every day, is entertaining yourself, keeping yourself in that state of. I think people enjoy being in a state of maybe enjoys the right word, but mm. they feel comfortable with the constant anxiety of things because I don't know I'm saying they do and I don't I don't know if if enjoy is the right word but they certainly I don't know it keeps life rolling along all bad things are happening keeps you on your toes but yeah I think the effect has got to be got to be negative really
1: I think you're right I think we've got to be more disciplined about it and I think the other thing you would know about this as well, we've got to be very discerning, don't we? We've got to be very careful. We've got to be very selective about where we get our information from. So I do think we've got to be very protective with ourselves about A, how much we are reading and listening to, but also the source of that information. Is it credible? Is it the sort of thing that we want to be reading um, to have kind of, uh, you know, good... Uh, valuable data on something.
0: I've realised this with my, myself though. I think one of the reasons people may do it is I think we become uncomfortable with silence. I've certainly had this feeling when I'm off to do some mundane task around the house and I just must think, oh, I must have something to listen to. And okay, I'm, I might be avoiding the daily death tolls, but I'll find, I don't know, whatever it is a podcast, you know, comedy show, anything to listen to. As I'm, as I'm going about my business, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid of having nothing. Because mm. I think it's then that, well, one of the things people find hard about meditating or other meditative pursuits like yoga is suddenly you're faced with silence and then the bad thoughts can flood in. So it's almost like you keep, you keep listening to the radio or you keep listening to whatever distractions you have because you don't want to be yeah. alone with your thoughts.
1: Yeah, you are kind of staving your thoughts. Mm. Yeah, uh, staving off. I think that's true, and I, you know, I, I certainly uh, hear. You know, people will say they they don't they can't even bear the silence of falling asleep, so they would have a television on in the background, or as you say, they would be listening to a podcast. That actually, there's something quite unbearable about just having nothing, just being with your thoughts. Uh, I think it's a real struggle.
0: And even in the public space now, it's, it's, it's seen as, as, as odd to sit and not do anything. So, you know, if you go and sit and have... I was having this discussion with a friend of mine about how there was some internet meme going around about how some weirdo was sitting on his own having a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and not looking at his phone or reading a book or anything. You know, what's he up to? Yeah. But it, it, it should be okay to... To sit and not immediately dive into a phone or your home, immediately listen to something or watch something. Yeah. It should be okay to have that silence because if the thoughts that flood in are negative and frightening for you, then that probably tells you something else that might need addressing.
1: Well, exactly, it might be alerting you to something. I mean, the other thing is, I just think we're also plugged in. I was very struck by it. I was uh, over the weekend. We were we were on the river, which we haven't done very much before. But all I saw around me were people on kayaks or on boats or they were trying kind of stand-up paddling. And most people were terribly preoccupied with their phones. So, of course, Mm. they were trying to photograph themselves or other people. And I just thought, wow, this is, I guess... This is the world we live in. Everything's got to be evidenced. Everything's got to be. It, it, it's it's almost like it's not okay. You've got to have you've got to have the photo, don't you?
0: That that one concerns me a lot because you, you mentioned before about immediacy and living in living in the moment. Now, I think I grew when I grew up. I had this idea that you need to be planning for the future. You need to be doing things that are important for your future. And, but and living to living for today was seen as a sort of negative a negative way to live your life. But I think there's a very positive way of looking at it as in living for today. Not doing crazy things and running out credit card debts and getting yourself in trouble in the future, but doing things which are good today. And the thing about having to photograph everything, it it almost seems like you, you need to every moment needs to be captured as you say and 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 kept forever. But it's at the expense of actually enjoying this moment now. And okay, occasionally we all like we all like photos, and everyone likes to have photos of their family to to set, to keep and to show to people. But if it's at the expense of you never have a moment that's just about now, yeah. you never have that moment. I think this is something we have possibly lost, mm-hmm. lost already. I mean, you hear stories of kids if doing something cute, and they're and they they're upset because it hasn't been Captured. photographed. They're thinking, yeah. what, 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 am I not am I not looking cute enough? Mm. Why haven't you taken mm. a picture of me? It's like you you can't just have mm. have that moment anymore. And I think that's possibly something we've lost at at what cost I don't know. But
1: I think it's right. It's almost as if something isn't valid or hasn't happened if we don't have that evidence and. Yeah, I think it's um it's really sad. It made me think that I was really relieved that I was I was so convinced that I was definitely going to fall in the water. So for that reason I didn't have my phone on me and I was actually so pleased because I'm sure I would have been doing the same thing, probably trying to get a photograph. But actually it was so it was so freeing just not having it, so I couldn't worry about it. And it, it changed the experience, it really did. There, was, there wasn't that kind of, the pressure of trying to take a picture of the kids, you know, capture everything they were doing. But it just made me, I felt so much more immersed in the activity.
0: One of the, I started doing a pub quiz back when you could do such things, and I'm not particularly into quizzes, but one of the nice things about it was because it's a group of people, and for two hours... There were no, no phones allowed. You can't even...
1: Ah, so you couldn't go and check. You can't, you check can't cheat. You can't yeah.
0: cheat. So, so it's for the game. It's yeah. for the quiz. But the result is, I do it with some old school friends of mine, is you have these long discussions and, and discussions about things that you can't look up yeah. are brilliant because you spend half an hour arguing about whether something's right or wrong. Yeah. And this never, ha- this never happens anymore nice. because you immediately are. When, when do, is such and such still alive? You just look it of up. Who sung this song? You just look it up. Yeah. And to be able to have those long discussions where no one's allowed to look at their phones, it's brilliant. Yeah. But it's you know it's because of something else. But yeah. the result is lovely, so it makes you think. And one of the nice things about doing sport, doing jujitsu, which I can't do at the moment, is you you go in there and it's just an hour or two hours when you're cut off and you're having a completely different
1: experience. I was thinking about that when I was speaking. I was thinking, I'm sure you can't have your phone around when you are doing your jiu-jitsu, which must be, you know, it must feel then that you're kind of cocooned, you're immersed. There's nothing else that you can do, which is brilliant.
0: Yeah, and it's always a transformative experience. You always come out feeling different than you did going in. yeah. Uh, Unless you injure yourself, then you uh, can't yeah. come out feeling worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 99% of the time you come out you come out feeling better. Mm. Just one of the many things I've lost. It's reminded me, me talking about jiu-jitsu, the reason I asked you to come on the podcast in the, in the first mm. place, we had a fascinating discussion a couple of months back, I think, and which I've quoted, probably misquoted to people a few times. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about, so I'd rather get the correct take on it, you were talking about how you split your time How how people should split their time. My my take on is that you should, maybe you should explain. But a small amount of time doing frivolous things, Mm -hmm. and the rest of the time should be split between. Help me out here. So mastery of something.
1: Okay. So, so I'll give you um, just a uh, just a bit of background to that. I remember that conversation. That's when we were only allowed in gardens. So mm-hmm. we were sitting in your lovely garden with your wife. Well, we were talking broadly, and I was I was thinking about psychological PPE, as I put it, um, quite a lot. Psycho- psychological
0: PPE. Psychological okay. PPE. Okay, so protecting yeah. ourselves exactly. psychologically. Okay. Yeah.
1: So how? What? What can we? What, what, should we, what should we be thinking about? So we were thinking about this during lockdown. I know that's the, the conversations. And I suppose some of the things that, you know, so where that comes from is it's, it's got a lot to do with the research into mood, into low mood. And so what we, what we try and speak to people about is that when we, if we think about all of our activities they can probably roughly be they can kind of be categorized into four different things so you're right so the one was about you said doing frivolous things so that we we would generally think about pleasure enjoyment yeah so that's let's so call it like the netflix one you so know, that's the netflix it, you know, one yeah so that would be uh so i mean it, it differs for different people but anything that you really enjoy doing so whether that's netflix cooking Gosh Rich, what do people enjoy doing? Going uh, to the pub. Going to the pub, exactly. Pub quizzes, having barbecues, whatever you you know, so that's the that's the pleasure domain, yeah. Then we've got the other one which is mastery. Mastery or achievement. So that's where it might not always be that fun, but when we do it, we know it's really, really good for us. So learning, learning something, learning something, doing sport, doing a, sport. For a run. I mean, now I think for somebody like you, you probably even find sport pleasurable. So you may actually make that. You might put that in the pleasure zone, yeah. But for 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 I think lots of people we do sport. Um, we may not always feel like it but we do it and once we've done it we feel so good about it so we've achieved something we're keeping fit we're keeping healthy so maybe something like sport but any of those things that might be a bit tiresome but when we do it it's pretty good for us
0: yeah so i've thought about this a lot because they can if they overlap that's great.
1: If they overlap, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because the, what was so the rest of so there So there's, there's pleasure, there's mastery. What were the other things on the list? So the other
1: two would be closeness to others. So social others. connections with yeah. people. And the last one is routine. Routine. So the kind of routine, which would be the kind of anchors of our lives. So sleeping well, eating well, uh, getting up at a reasonable time in the day, going to bed at a reasonable time, any of those things that are rhythmic for us. The things that, again, they're not always so much fun, they can be a bit dull, but they're very, very good for us to do.
0: And so where does work fit into all of this is this another is this a separate one or does this come under or anchors or mastery
1: it can overlay it would be mastery and achievement because of course we achieve something if we're out there working and we earn a living yeah for some of us maybe we really like very much what we do so it can be a bit of pleasure as well but the other thing is it is routine isn't it it's the thing that we've got to get up, we've got to get ready. I'm not not so much now in lockdown and post-lockdown, but, you know, it was typically the thing that we would need to do. We'd have to get up, get washed, get on the train or the tube, whatever people were doing. And it's also, it's really good for us. I think the fact that, I I
0: started saying this before and then interrupted myself, typical, but um, I think that when I've been thinking about this, I think the overlapping is probably a, a good thing. The fact that it's difficult to... To categorise them because I've yeah. been since since we had that chat I've been thinking if you're doing if you're we've all been trying to do learn a bit of music during mm-hmm. this lockdown yeah and if you're with with a member of your family you're playing music and you're having fun ching 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 master it's close to others and it's fun brilliant so, yeah so I try and think of wh- when things are are purely in pleasure. So everyone's got a waste of time, right? Everyone's got the thing that they would do that's really, you know, it could be scrolling through...
1: Yeah. ...whatever.
0: It's sh- internet shopping for things they, they're never going to buy. You know, yeah. I, I look at old cars on eBay. It's just one of these... And I know that's just a waste of time. But as long as you think, well, I'm only going to do it for a set amount of time. Mm. and I know it's frivolous. I know it's it's nothing, nothing more than silly fun. Mm. But... Try and get those things down into a fairly small mm-hmm. window, and the other things which overlap, then you can you can spend more of your time doing these things because course, you're you're yeah. you're 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 ticking more than one box, and you 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 know that you're you're doing something that's worthwhile, and you feel you feel the difference. And what I've really noticed is if you if you do do something totally frivolous mm. for a long time. I feel my. I can feel my moods sort of sl- oh, slowly, yeah. slowly heading down, and then, or especially if you're supposed to be working, yeah. and you and you are yeah. just open another tab and have a look on whatever, yeah, whatever whatever your particular poison is mm-hmm. normally on normally on the internet. You, you, if you do it for a long time when you should be, when you know you should be doing something else, or if you're ignoring your child and you're flicking through. Yeah, distractedly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, then you you know, really. And I guess it's about honesty with yourself, thinking, okay, have I have I allotted myself some time to do this silly thing? Or mm. am I really doing it when I should be doing something else? Mm.
1: You know, again, hopefully, it doesn't sound very formulaic, but actually, I do think it's a, it's a really good thing to actually, for any of us, to kind of sit down and just look at how we spend our time And the first thing we want to do is hit all four of those pillars, if I can put it that way, because we really do need some of it. But then what we can do is look at the levels, can't we? And as you say, it's just kind of, I think it's a useful way to look at how we use our time. And all of those are really good for us. If you can hit more than them at once, well, that's just... That's the jackpot, as not Yeah, it?
0: exactly. But you mentioned connecting with other people. This came up with a psychotherapist on the podcast last week. And he was saying that during lockdown, men and post lockdown as well, that men particularly have, have suffered because they don't have such strong real world social networks. So not social media, social networks necessarily, mm-hmm. but real world social networks, because they're a lot of their connecting to other people is is connected to things they do, so they go and do an activity, gym or pub, yeah. watch the football, whatever it is. Yeah. Whereas women are better—not everyone, but you mm. know, as, as on, on the whole, better at maintaining these mm. real-world social networks. It's certainly the case in my experience that it was always, even even before we had, we were all, we were all so connected. The dads were the ones who were bad on the phone. You know, everyone would yeah. ring their dad, you I'll, I'll just get your mum <laughs> kind of thing. And I think, I think. It yeah. seems to me we are men. We are worse at maintaining things if we don't have a reason to do it. We don't. We very rarely ring up. For, I've started doing it mm. actually more during lockdown, forcing myself to mm. ring people up for a chat. And even even now, people I've known for twenty, thirty years, <laughs> ring them up for a chat, and they're sort of
1: like, they think, "What's Hello? wrong? Yeah. yeah, is everything what, okay? Yeah, something yeah.
0: bad's happened." Mm-hmm. And it's a. I think it's a. It's a difficult thing to admit that we just ring someone for a chat because mm-hmm. you know it's fine if we're doing something proper together I've got something to talk about but ringing up it's like hi how are you what Uh, uh, why is he calling me what's he want so yeah. I think we have to force ourselves. Has that been your experience professionally as well?
1: Oh, hugely! Because I think I mean you know I'm always a bit wary, as I'm sure you are, of kind of making uh, assumptions about genders. But this is this is really the one where you can see the difference because you know uh, I would say for myself we're we, I'm I'm in a very casual way connected, and then regularly connected. So you know a WhatsApp. Not so much actually phoning, but certainly with WhatsApps, you, you can be in really regular contact with people all the time. And I think with men, it has been harder. It's been harder for them to do that. I think men have done well on quizzes. That, that's been, I think, quite a good way for people to connect um, but it has absolutely been the case. And the, and what I would say is I've really, really come across, I mean, you know, all people, but certainly for men, they, they, they feel really lonely. And of course, it's quite difficult to admit to that as well. But I think often if it's men who are living on their own, you know, if you've got a family, it might be a little bit easier because there might be kids running around, the house is always busy, or if we've got partners. But I think for people that have been living alone, I think that the, the lockdown experience has been incredibly isolating for them. Yeah, I just can't, I can't begin to imagine, really. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I've, I have a friend who had been working, who lives on his own. He'd been working from home for, I think, six weeks before the actual oh, lockdown happened. You know, because, yeah. you know, a lot of people were already going, Already starting, weren't right they? Yeah. Um, and to suddenly have, you know, that, everything else taken away. Yeah. You know, it must be, it's really hard. It's really
1: very hard. very very tough yeah. i mean for
0: for all the you know we started off talking about getting annoyed with our families i mean for for all of that i've if you know you get those moments but i've always been immensely grateful to yeah. have them because i can't imagine what it would be like to have gone through this no. living on my own i mean no
1: i think yeah i think you're right and and i'm much the same as you you know i've, I've got uh, school aged kids the house is always madly busy it's loud and I suppose I've reminded myself in those moments where I just sort of think, oh, all I can do, I just want some quiet or I just, but actually I kind of think, you know what, on balance, I'm sure it's been easier to have that. Yeah, they're just, you know, you've got a built in closeness with others, which I think is very protective. Professionally, has it how how hard is it to do
0: everything at distance?
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting, Rich. I mean, I, you know, I think as a profession, I think that clinical psychology or or being a therapist, I think we've relied hugely on being in a room with somebody else because, you know, we're 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 picking up on verbals, but we're also really interested in the non-verbals. So, what are people not saying, or? You know, when do they not make eye contact? Or you know, those cues are so important for us. Um I I would say that I have been so struck by how I feel that I've still managed to work, work really well with people. So I would say for the most part I've been using something like Zoom, but else just using the t- telephone. Um and actually, the feedback from people has overwhelmingly been pretty positive. Now, I don't know also, you know, we're in a, we're in a particular situation, aren't we? Because we live in London. And so I think for a start, I think lots of people just appreciated not having to commute. So, you know, for uh, let's say on average, for people coming to see me, they would have commuted, let's say, an hour or so to come in. So I think there was just practically there was that kind of thing where suddenly people didn't have to do that. But it's been, well, I mean, you know, I I speak for, just from my own perspective, I think it's been very, very good. And we've also got some good data coming through now. So, you know, we've got some really uh, kind of thoughtful, clever people that are actually looking at this to see what happens to the therapeutic relationship. And actually the data shows that we're doing quite well with that, that we can, yeah, that we can kind of work effectively with people uh, using these kind of more virtual methods. So I think it's interesting because I think there's a, I think there's a movement towards these sorts of online therapies. Uh, I think it's probably going to become a, a sort of, yeah, an area of big business.
0: Yeah, I think you, you just ha- you just have to look at the whole thing. That we have to hope good comes of it it's yeah. and it's a difficult thing to say when the, you know horrible things happen Lo- pe- yeah. lots of people have died and obviously there are going to be huge economic repercussions but we have to think that you know good looking back good, lots of good stuff came out of the world wars i mean it doesn't mean that the world wars themselves were good things mm. but they force when forces people's back to, to the wall and they they innovate i mean lots of the technology we have today came from mm. the the horrors of the world Mm -hmm. wars because suddenly people work harder they realize Mm are they're under threat and in the long run good has to come of it i think we can't just see it as okay this is our lives are now slightly worse Mm -hmm. that that's impossible to avoid that feeling in the short term possibly and to avoid it completely but we have to think that that we will rally and and make good of it and and yeah for and if people realize they they Whilst if it's therapy, I guess you always lose something if you're not in the room. But if it's important enough, you'll you'll carry on doing it.
1: Yeah, I think it's um, I think that's right. I, I mean, it will be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see as we're recalibrating, what do we what do we hold on to? What will what what will, as you say, what will actually be even better I know it's uncomfortable to think about that because, as you say, there are some truly sad, difficult things that have happened. But I guess I'm hoping, Rich, that there'll be good that comes out of this as well. And that, you know, I don't know, I keep thinking, you know, will this be better for families, for instance? You know, if we have parents not working away from home all the time, what will that do to the kind of uh, the the kind of running of a family yeah how you know how can we use technology to our advantage because I think there also there are lots of negative things you know quite often technology is also associated with uh, you know the underworld and uh, you know the, the the difficult stuff that goes on but actually I'm really hoping that we use it to yeah to to do better to do good
0: yeah because I, I think it's understandable when we you know we talked about the constantly taking photos thing. It's a pervasive thing. So obviously there'll be bad stuff that comes from the technology, but yeah, it's not going to go away. We have to make sure we yeah. we use it for positive things. Mm. And I think, as you say, it forces us to think. Well, what do we actually want mm. out of life? What do we miss? Which of these things do we want back? Yeah. And going on a crowded commuter train is not one of the things we want back. Because no. that was always that was always horrible without a yeah without a pandemic. It was horrible being was shoehorned great. in with with sweaty angry people 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 who are probably all lovely in their individual lives but when they're shoehorned together like that it brings out the worst in everyone yeah so that we don't miss no no so i guess we have to look at the the positive ways through Mm. so i think we're almost out of time sadly oh gosh flown by wow so tamara silliers if people want to find out more about your work where could they look
1: I work in the NHS and I work privately as well. So I have an NHS role, which is the uh, CBT London Training Centre. So when we've been
0: clapping, we've been clapping for you, the NHS? Well, yes. A little bit. A little bit.
1: I'm by no means, I have not been a frontline worker, but I guess, yeah, in the background we've been supporting NHS staff. In the NHS I work at the London CBT Training Centre, And that's where we train therapists to work using CBT. And then I also, I work in private practice at a clinic called PPCS. PPCS. PPCS, yes. PPCS. Which is Psychological and Psychiatric Consulting Services. Fantastic.
0: Tamara Silius, thank
1: you very much. Thanks so much, Ruth.
0: Thanks again to Tamara Silius. The clinic she mentioned is PPCS, that's Psychiatric and Psychological Consultant Services. Type PPCS into Google, it's the first thing that comes up. The new Healthy Beast website is healthybeastpodcast.com, and we are at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram.